0: and hello again everybody welcome to the uscca's ask an attorney webinar this is the pandemic edition uh you can see we're practicing our social distancing in accordance with government regulations because my special guest is an attorney and uh, we don't want to have him doing anything uh a foul of the law tom grieve from grieve law uh you're here with us again for the ask an attorney segment of of uh the uscca and um how are things going i mean uh obviously uh we are uh, many miles apart and uh um is the uh is the pandemic impacting the things that you're doing day to day uh
1: yeah I, I would say well first off it's going well um both myself and my family is are uh, everybody's healthy and uh you know we have provisions we haven't had to resort to uh you know looting for toilet paper or anything like that but um Yeah, no, everything's, you know, as far as the business goes, we're the largest criminal defense law firm in the state. I mean, our our phone calls have trickled. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gives me time to get myself out from underneath some, uh, some backlogged work that I had. So it is what it is. How about yourself? By the way, I I love that little that kitchen arrangement you have back there. The lamp really complements the shirt. It ties it all together.
0: Yeah, it, it pulls the whole room together. It's uh, you know, it's an important element of of what we do here at the USCCA is fashion and style. We have the Comfort and Style edition every year, so we gotta gotta maintain that. Uh, as far as a pandemic going with me, uh, um, I got uh, one boy home from college, and the other one is uh, trapped in Cyprus where they've closed the airport, and uh, he's waiting to hear uh, what's going on. But he's living his best life in the fact that he was teaching school there. They've closed school, but they continue to pay him. So um, he's, he's, uh, he's doing pretty well. And uh, um, as far as I can tell, healthy and happy and uh, just waiting for the chance to get back to the states. So um, we've got some questions coming up for the Ask an Attorney. We had to do this a little bit differently this time. Tom, these questions have come in uh, over the transom and from some other things that we've been doing. So I will just uh, um, crack them open and, and kind of jump right in and see what we can uh, get going. Lots of interesting topics out there, especially regarding national emergency and martial law and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot with some of these. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't want to call them crazy questions, but um, they're huh? they're different from what we might normally see. So, um, got yeah, one right away. You here. know what? <laughs> Go you ahead. and I
1: have been doing this for, for quite some time together, and we've been making videos together for much longer than that. I think. Uh, yeah. Years and years and years. Come to think of it, and uh, I have a sneaky suspicion we're going to have a lot of firsts today.
0: Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, um, uh, folks are worried, and and this is important. I mean, it's. Um, I'm I'm happy that they're asking questions and not just going out there and, and um, doing crazy stuff on their own and then speaking to an attorney like you afterwards. So, yeah. um, right. hopefully, we can uh, we can solve some of that. You know, prevention uh, is is better than trying to cure it afterwards. So. Uh, jump right in. We got Earl from Lake City. He wants to know what are the legal ramifications around national emergency declarations and uh, basically what extra powers do the governments get? And and I see some cities are trying to glo- close gun stores. Is that legal? So um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, um, a national emergency declaration, that's not martial law, is it?
1: no that's that's definitely not martial law for for, for sure mm-hmm. martial law is an entirely different entity you know that m word or the ml phrase martial law is certainly something you know i never used to hear that get bandied about and now it's become a daily thing uh that that i hear and you know look there's no such thing as a martial law expert attorney this is i mean if if there is they're out of business because it's uh yeah <laughs> it's not something that comes up so you know, this side of, of perhaps obscure academia discussions, it's not something that we really see. So in preparation for today, I have reviewed a number of documents, a number of cases, so that I can at least give our viewers something of what it means and so forth. But here's the gist to it, is that we of course have, uh, different states have different different orders. Every state has a different constitution. And then of course that all operates within the framework of, of the federal, um, the constitution of the united states the federal courts and of course the federal orders so really what we're seeing right now primarily is operation on the statewide basis and we've seen different states do different things we've seen certain states try to order gun stores as being non-essential businesses or certain mayors um, and we've seen by and large like in pennsylvania uh basically governor wolf there if i'm not mistaken had to reverse that order thanks to a lawsuit uh, we mm-hmm. saw that the LA Sheriff and over in California, Los Angeles County Sheriff uh, tried to ban book gun stores from being open as a non-essential business. And uh, basically, I think that there was an advisory, I don't know if it came out from the federal DOJ, but some sort of federal entity put out an advisory effectively saying, look, gun stores aren't essential business. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that seems to be the direction that at least those particular winds are flowing in now. Of course, if you can't buy ammo there because everything's sold out, that's a different that's a different story. Kevin.
0: Yeah, that yeah, You still have the opportunity. The government isn't uh, isn't uh, you know mandating that the stores be closed or anything like that. And um, in large part, I understand too that um, an emergency declaration um, oftentimes just opens up or cuts away some of the red tape for states to be able to get more federal funding for some of the stuff that they're working on. So. Um, it's people shouldn't be panicking about the fact that there's an an emergency or a a medical emergency being declared or something like that. And right now, I guess we we revert to the you know um, check your local listings and see what people are are out there enforcing and trying to enforce and kind of pay attention to that because what I don't want folks to do is is actively resist or revolt. You know if if the uh, government. Makes a mistake in their area and says, you know what, these stores are closed. And hang on, wait a minute. You know the federal government says they're open. Um, it's it's not a time for violence. It's a time for trying to figure out what what's the next best course of action.
1: And that's definitely what we have seen happen, at least here in in our home of Wisconsin. Uh, you know, <laughs> Friday the governor comes out and says we're not shutting down the state a couple of weeks ago. Saturday he comes out and says it again. Then Monday morning he says, hey, we're shutting everybody down. Uh, Right after he said that he won't do it twice. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. he did that saying, but don't worry, essential businesses shall remain open, but gave no definition or guidance as to what constituted an essential business. So Mm -hmm. that left everybody scrambling, Um, not only myself as a business owner, but of course, everybody, I mean, employees, you name it, everybody, everywhere was scrambling, at least here in Wisconsin. And just in the last uh, several days, this week, we've seen uh, law enforcement going down and a shutting down. They've shut down some hobby lobbies, from what i They've shut down a number of different stores. Uh, I know. So it's yeah. this is a very fluid and dynamic situation. There are some places that were closed that have been reopened nationally. There are some places that have been open that have been closed. So the fact that there really are no precedents for this, and by and large, I look at that as a good thing because it goes to show how stable and and uh, and protected, uh, you know, and, and how prosperous we are as a nation to not have to be dealing with this ever before. But that lack of precedent means that, um, and I'm sure there's going to be lawsuits on the back end, um, but that mm-hmm. lack of precedent yeah. means that we're all figuring it out, courts included.
0: Yeah, and and I really like uh, when you say there's not much precedent for this. I like the, the, the idea that a couple of people out there are flip-flopping, specifically the governor of Illinois, who for years have been saying guns are bad and you don't need guns and guns are the problem, um, made it very clear that he was ordering gun stores and, and places that sold ammunition to be open as essential businesses in the name of safety and security. So um, and my first question was well, which is it, governor, now when people, you know, really need this stuff, now you're in favor of, of people protecting themselves. But right up to the this pandemic outbreak and, and all of the, the changes that were happening, he was adamantly opposed to people using guns to defend themselves. So it's yeah, in my suspicion.
1: It is. It is. And we're seeing that New Jersey play its way out as well right now. But uh, I mean, no, no surprise there. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, it's really strange because, of course, we are not to not to rehash the cliche, but we are living in history. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that are being entrenched right now. A lot of battle lines and legal battle lines and economic battle lines that are being that are being decided right now on the fly. that's I suspect will turn into a touchstone uh, for future action to shape future mindsets and perspectives as well as at the end of the day, future court decisions. So um, it's uh, I'm trying to keep both eyes open, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, this is something that we gotta pay close attention to. So moving on to the next question, this one comes from anonymous and uh, I can imagine why the person didn't want their name attached to this Uh-oh. question. So uh, are you ready? Am I allowed to use deadly force <laughs> to keep an obviously sick person from trying to infect me by coughing on me or spitting on me, so um, yeah, this one I, I, I'm going to vote no for this. But I want to hear your your professional legal opinion.
1: Well, number one, check your local listings for the definitions of you know different states and self defense laws. Broadly speaking, you have to be in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. That's the definition here in Wisconsin. Other states are going to be more or less distant uh, from that, but that's you know a, a good a good baseline to work from. Uh, bottom line no, don't shoot somebody who's coughing around you. Okay, let's let me just get that out of the way up front. Um, but at the end of the day, look, if you did, how could this legally play out? Right? So okay, you get charged with a homicide or an attempted homicide or whatever your, your state's similar rationale or charge may be for that. And if your attorney is looking to raise as I assume the nature of the, the question is is going to whether or not you're privileged to use self defense. So. Are you in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm? Well, do we 100% know for starters that that person had a potentially deadly contagious disease, that uh, it was reasonable that you would imminently contract and that that disease likewise qualified as presenting a deadly threat? Uh, good luck. That's that's yeah. the bottom line of that. I mean, good luck. So. Um, you know and and even if you're gonna put the answer as yes i mean not to not to be the alarmist guy but given all the stuff that we're seeing out there as far as how, how does this spread how long does it last on surfaces and so forth i mean i think that we have to draw a more sane line than that and that isn't to say that i can easily see is and, and we can all see the threat that that person particularly if they're doing it intentionally that that person
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh could be posing but um I th- I think that bottom line, um, this is a novel situation. That would certainly be a novel response to a novel situation. And in- I include in that the novel legal defense raised. Uh that's I would not be excited about taking that to a jury as the as the defense attorney. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would uh, uh push back on something like this because um you mentioned the word several times in your answer, imminent. And even if you get sick, even if you get this virus, um, that that isn't a, it. Isn't an automatic death sentence, you know. Ninety-eight point two percent of the people who contract the virus recover, and and they're doing okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say to anonymous, no, don't be using. You know, you can use a, a moderate level of force, push the person, and walk away because there's always a chance for you to get out of the way of the. The cough and the spitting and stuff like that. So, um, I, I w- I'm going to go with don't be using deadly force to stop uh, the transmission of coronavirus. So, yeah, I that's don't please don't do that. Please <laughs> yeah. don't do that. Um, I'm I'm going to skip over the next question. We'll come back to it. But I see one here that's actually very well written and lucid. So this is uh you know I like those. So. Um, Sandy in Philadelphia. Um, and Philadelphia is one of the cities that has made an announcement that police officers will not be responding to certain crimes now. Um, so she asks, with mounting safety concerns regarding police forces, not arresting criminals, do my legal rights to defend myself change? And what should I say on a 911 call to make police arrive more quickly? So um, well, right. I'll let you go uh, with this I, one. <laughs>
1: Right. So, you know, for starters, I, if you just tuned in, uh, I I live outside Milwaukee, I I do not live in Philadelphia, I cannot claim to have firsthand uh, knowledge or understandings of every intricacy of what's going on, as far as the arrest or do not arrest my loose understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but my loose understanding is that it's not that they aren't arresting anyone. They're pretty much ignoring a lot of property crimes, a lot of drug possession crimes, and so forth. But if somebody's shooting somebody, if somebody's robbing someone, uh, my suspicion is you're getting taken into custody. Is is that fair? You think?
0: Yeah, that's what I've been seeing out there. Is that, um, uh, and a lot of times there will even be arrests, but they won't be custodial arrests. So they're not taking people into custody, taking them to jail for the book and release procedure or anything like that. Um, <laughs> oh, excuse me, for assault with uh, without injury or something like that. Um, you know, there was a list of crimes that the Philadelphia Police Department was not going to be. Um, at first, they weren't going to be making custodial arrests. And then um, it came out that they might not even be sending an officer to those crimes, they're just gonna be taking a report. So it's not like there's no law enforcement action being taken, um, it's just changed the level of what's going on.
1: Right, well, okay, so with with that knowledge kind of in our pocket moving forward, um, so for starters, this is not mad max this is not the wild west uh to my knowledge and i don't see this changing uh the laws of self-defense and of homicide have not been suspended as a result of this so uh it's not that you can shoot any earlier than you could before uh the laws have not changed the self-defense laws have not changed castle doctrine has not changed the only thing that may have changed is Maybe and I there's no way to knowing this, but maybe the police response times. You could argue mm-hmm. that they would have more rapid response time because now there's less officers tied up on, you know, traffic or whatever else that they would have been doing previously. Maybe they have yeah. slower response time because maybe they're trying to deliberately staff less officers on the street. I I don't know, uh, but bottom line is it's a great question, but the laws of self defense have not been suspended or changed.
0: Okay, yeah, that's uh. Um, It's good to know the same things that we were doing before, we should be doing now. And honestly, if you can avoid a conflict and you can avoid using deadly force, please do that um, only as a last resort. And again, you got to be facing that imminent deadly threat before you can use deadly force to stop that attacker. And I want to stress that again too, I've seen seen words popping up in the list of questions about shoot to kill and that's not what we're doing. Um, we use force only to stop the threat. And that's it, that needs to be made very clear to everyone out there. A follow-up to Sandy's question is, should I stay on the scene if police are not quick to respond? So um, I want to hear that from your, uh, your point of view as a, as a defense attorney. Um, a good guy involved in a shooting, um, engages in a shooting and, and wins, wins the fight. And now police are not really quick to get there. Um, what do you need to do?
1: Well, and you and I have have addressed this on any number of times, and it's a question that is always timely, it's always topical. And something that you and I, both from our backgrounds, yours in law enforcement, mine is a former state prosecutor and is a criminal defense attorney. I always tell people, look, virtually every home invasion, virtually every mugging, virtually every, all that kind of stuff. um, I would have to think hard if I can remember a case other than somebody who's just insane and unhinged, where it was only one attacker there's almost always a group to varying levels that are involved maybe they're all highly involved maybe they're they're less involved but the bottom line is look number one just because you won that fight doesn't mean that there's another one around the corner so you need to make sure that you are physically safe before you you lower your guard um would be the first thing that i would caution people about also to ensure that you're not injured during the adrenaline of a fight and everything that's going on you may have you may have you may have been injured um make sure that you aren't bleeding make sure that you're intact and i realize that may sound like a funny answer but it is absolutely true um you didn't win the fight if you bleed out because you didn't notice that you know they that you nicked a, you know nicked an artery or something like that in your leg or wherever else it might be so you know you may not be alone in fact odds are you are not alone if you only saw one bad guy you didn't see his friends odds are good that there are friends somewhere i would say that to my experience the odds are good that his friends are probably getting the heck out of dodge too probably but that's not an assumption that i would make if i were you you got to act as though that they're still there so if you're safe where you are uh then okay otherwise i would remain in the area if possible but basically number one get yourself safe uh if you're injured uh make sure that you know follow follow medical training and protocols. That's appropriate to the nature of the injury, which varies depending on natures of of injuries, but get yourself safe. That's that's number one.
0: Yeah, I would also suggest that uh, if if you're uh, involved in such an incident, make that call to 911. And if you feel like you need to leave the area, stay on the line with the dispatcher and give information as to what you're doing and why you're doing it. If you don't feel safe where you are. our standard response is, you know, immediately following a shooting, move to a position of tactical advantage and then assess and decide what you're going to do. Um, that might mean you have to get out of the area you, if, uh, if the crowd is getting ugly or there's some other danger to you. Um, but it will really help you and it will help your case in the long run if you're talking to the dispatcher who is recording everything you say and you say you know what I don't really feel safe here I'm going to cross the street and go inside a store or I'm going to you know try to get to a safe place. Um, But you're providing that information so it doesn't appear as though you're trying to flee the scene and then the police are looking at you as a suspect rather than someone involved in self defense. So. but
1: you know keep in mind on that last point again you you and i have talked about this in the past but just to kind of reiterate it here okay so somebody just attacked you uh they pulled a knife on you whatever it might have been you just had to use a firearm in in self-defense okay a shot goes out if there's people around mm-hmm. everybody's looking at you and they may not have seen the yeah. buildup to what's going on here they just see a body on the ground yeah. and you holding a gun keep mm-hmm. in mind there might be other people with concealed carry licenses out there who may be perceiving mm-hmm. you as the threat. So you gotta be, you gotta be right. careful about that um, to act mm-hmm. judiciously. Uh, and obviously, you know, don't have any social media moments of saying anything wrong or anything like that. And just, you know, if I could just go off in a brief tangent here, uh, there's a lot of, everybody's spending a lot more time on social media these days. Um, and, and I'm no exception. And, uh, I think with the stress in it and everything that's hitting a lot of people pretty hard in some cases uh, i'm seeing a lot of i've seen a lot of people post a lot of things that i wish they weren't posting on social media um if if their response would have been a six out of ten before i feel like they're going to that 10 out of 10 right away right now and as mm-hmm. you and i have talked about and, and uscca you know you and i actually have made a number of videos on this exact point people what you post on social media will come back to haunt you so be safe, be secure, don't give the 10 out of 10 response, think and just be sane.
0: Yeah, and the, uh, the it was just a joke defense does not always work, you know, and, and in most cases does not work when you uh, you say, well, I, I, if, if you mentioned that you wanted to kill someone that is going to be taken verbatim and you're gonna be asked about what was going on. So um, you're, you're absolutely right, Tom, and we've talked about this time and time again, be careful what you post on social media because it will haunt you. So, and it stays forever and they have access to it, so.
1: Yep, they will get it. I mean,
0: trust me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so here's one that I like to see. New gun owner in Louisville asks, the only ammo I've been able to find is this round nose stuff that says train and defend on the box. So um, I'm thinking that he has purchased uh, or she has purchased ammo from the Winchester company, which marks a line of ammo called train and defend. But it also says, it's for training. Can I use that for self-defense? What are the rules? I know because I looked around a little bit that the, a couple of states, New York and California, specifically outlaw am, um, armor-piercing ammunition, but um, I don't believe that aside from New Jersey, there are rules about what we're going to use um, as self-defense ammo. Um, it, are you aware of anything like that? I know that we've talked about this before, and different attorneys will describe ammunition differently you know it might be military grade ammo or it might be right. you know cop killer bullets or something crazy like that
1: yeah and and for those of you kids who have missed uh, a number of our other broadcasts and and so forth in the past uh what kevin's saying is is based on my own in-person experiences in court around wisconsin so this is not some sort of urban legend or something like that i have been in court when prosecutors and judges have described any type of ammunition that expands as a cop killer bullet. In other words, hollow point ammunition. That's cop killer ammunition. You don't need that. Why do you need that? I've also been in court when uh, full metal jacket ammunition, in other words, b- broadly speaking, non-expanding ammunition, has been described as military grade, uh, you know, military grade calibers, military grade ammunition, even though it wasn't military calibers in every case. But yeah. um, you don't need military ammo. That's ridiculous. No civilian should have that. Well, I don't really know what that really leaves us with at that point, some sort of soft point like deer hunting yeah. ammo, but the, hey, that still expands. So it's yeah. Um, so at any rate, um, look, number one, check your local listings. So USCCA.com forward slash laws with an S at the end of it. You do not need to be a member to check that out. There's a fantastic resource put together by Bonnie and many of the other hardworking folks at the USCCA. Uh, to make sure that there's kind of a boots-on-the-ground opportunity to, to check out different firearm laws from different states around the country uh, to see what those local listings may be. Broadly speaking, I agree with you, Kevin. I don't have anything really to add to the California, New York, New Jersey. Um, but at the end of the day, so assuming that that that, that ammunition is legal, um, if it's probably not going to be as good. It's not going to be as effective as... Yeah. Uh, any number of the current really fantastic lineups that that we have out there. I mean, this—if you look at, at where hollow point ammunition was ten years ago compared to now, this is this is the golden age uh, of effective calibers.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, absolutely right. And to to answer the, the new gun owner question out there in Louisville, um, yes, you can use round nose or full metal jacket ammunition for self defense, and it will indeed poke holes in people, but. Um, realize too, you might have a pass-through shot. That bullet might just keep going and you are responsible for everything that bullet hits down range. So I want to uh, make sure that um, people are aware of that, especially the new gun owners. Um, Personal defense ammo, yes, um, great uh, hollow point ammo, frangible ammo, something that is going to expend its energy inside the target and typically be designed not to pass through and therefore not cause any other downrange damage because um tom what can happen if if you're involved in a self-defense shooting and uh and you shoot the bad guy and the bullet goes through and you know hits an innocent bystander how, do, how does that play out
1: well depending on state laws state criminal laws uh you could be looking at something called transferred intent in other words if you were lawfully acting in self-defense then even though you had the pass through as long as you were acting reasonably uh that may go to the bad guy rather than the good guy. Mm-hmm. And again, may be an operative term here because this relies on, obviously, the strength of your self-defense claims. It relies on the existence of state law uh, to support and have these doctrines in place. And number three, it replies on reasonable, uh, relies on, on reasonable prosecutors seeing this uh, and uh, and basically going along with it, which I'm not trying to say all prosecutors are bad. The majority are not. But Boy, trust me. There are some out there that are—they're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're real peaches, Calvin. Let me just I, put I it was that just way.
0: about to ask. I was just about to ask if you are a uh, would have defined yourself as a reasonable prosecutor uh, in in your uh, actions in that capacity.
1: <laughs> uh, you mean back when I was a prosecutor, or just or oh, just absolutely, yeah. Uh, when I was prosecutor, you specifically, you know- yeah. So prosecutors seem to come in two different two different cloths here. Uh, the first one is the one that is the luck. You know, let's take certain just awful crimes and and they're not part of the discussion. Okay, for, for purposes mm-hmm. of this, you know, your sex assaults, your your homicides, your well, you know, we're gonna, we're going to put the hardcore drugs, if they were drugs, off to the side. We're going to focus more on I got in an argument, you know, non physical argument with my wife, or you know, some drug possession or something like that. Uh, there are times that people can break the law and can be become convicted criminals, but there's a difference between that versus they're evil people. They may be mm-hmm. flawed people. They may be all sorts of different things, and maybe on balance, their flaws exceed their uh, their their positive traits. I don't know, um, and I'm not trying to get wishy-washy or gooey on you here, Kevin. Um, mm-hmm. But the the point is, is that the vast majority of people out there, in my experience. Um, do not fall into the evil category. I reserve that, you know, evil is a top shelf term in my mind. And I reserve that for a very exclusively small cast uh, of of individuals. Um, but uh, so that, you know, the first type of prosecutors recognize that just because you made a mistake, maybe a small mistake, maybe a larger mistake, but you made a mistake doesn't mean that you're necessarily evil. And we have to hit you with jail time and we have to do all these different things that could, Cost you your job, your career, your you know maybe you're married and now you're the only income and your house falls into foreclosure and you name it, uh, you know the first category of prosecutors are going to recognize that you're not necessarily evil. You know I've got a pound of flesh that I need to extract. There needs to be some deterrence. There needs to be some some responsibility taken here and so forth. And we can accomplish that without trying to necessarily throw the book at every single person. Uh, I think more commonly, and I would have described myself as as that as that first category. But I think more commonly we're seeing a rise of the second category, and I'm hearing that this is nationally, not just here in Wisconsin, of the, um, you know, and I I know, I'm sure you've heard this expression, you know, the people who wear the white hats, you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that one? Yeah. Right, right, right. So the prosecutors are the ones who wear the white hats and us, you know, dark defense attorneys wear the black hats, (laughs) if any at all, I don't even know if we get hats. but. Uh, You know, that the people who wear the the white hats, their their hats are on pretty snug. They are convinced that they are righteous. They are convinced that they are always right. Um, And it's scary because they don't take their foot off the pedal when maybe they should sometimes.
0: Right. And that's one of the things that I remind people all the time, too. That's why um, if you're dealing with something like this, even in a in what you consider to be a perfectly righteous self-defense action, make sure that you have an attorney. The legal system is very complex. And quite honestly, it seems like, um, you know, the, the prosecutors and investigators and police departments have nearly unlimited resources to pursue what they want to pursue and find out what they want to find out. And you in your defense, you need to make sure that you are getting the best possible defense because you're facing a big, huge machine that is designed to Um, grind you up and and spit out a win on the other side. And I know that attorneys all like to win and they don't take cases that they don't feel they can win. So,
1: yeah. And, you know, it's just, if if there's always one thing I try to communicate to to people who are inexperienced with the justice system, it's it's this. It does not work the way you think it works based on Hollywood, based on media, based on TV and based on everything else. It doesn't work anything like that. Um, It doesn't. So if there's only one takeaway, it's, it's look, I cannot stroll into your interrogation with my brown leather suitcase and my styrofoam cup of coffee, uh, kick open the door and tell the detectives to scram. That's how I get tased and wind up, you know, as you a witness on my case, that's, that's how that happens. So ignore Hollywood, ignore all that kind of stuff, because it doesn't work that Mm -hmm. way. and, And you need to educate and train yourself on how this all actually works so that you can make the best calls. And hopefully that's, that's why folks are here.
0: Yeah, and and hopefully we're uh, helping them out along the way. So here we've got one from Florida, which just recently introduced some of their stay-at-home laws. Reed over in Tallahassee says, "Is there any legal authority to the stay-at-home orders? What will happen to me if I leave my house without permission?" And um, I'm I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this one because we got fifty states and fifty different, you know, thirty of them now have stay-at-home orders, and and I don't know that we could know all of these laws inside and out.
1: Well, fortunately I do this is gonna take us about five hours we got all 50 uh, <laughs> <No>. all right. <laughs> right I mean obviously I, We're I, I,
0: I I don't have it
1: right I don't I don't have it um, broadly speaking I can comment to Wisconsin's because I imagine that a lot of them uh, flow similar to Wisconsin so in Wisconsin there's uh, an obscure section of the state's codes that deal with public health and so forth. And basically, the Department of Health and Safety and so forth has some discretion to issue certain orders under certain situations. And here we are. Um, I've been looking into the legality of that here in Wisconsin. And the big picture is this. It may not be constitutional, but it's not going to be changed right now. That's that's Mm -hmm. just... The gist to it, and you know, Wisconsin, we just had a recent uh, poll come out that said that I think uh, I'm, I'm going to be close, if not exact here that I think 86% of Wisconsinites, according to the poll, agree with the governor's stay at home order action. So there seems to be uh, political support for, for what's going on. And uh, I'm not saying that this is necessarily by any measure the way it ought to be. I'm just saying the way that it is uh, courts notice those things. And if you think that 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 won't play a factor somewhere in the back of their mind or maybe towards the front of their mind, and when they're looking at some sort of challenge, um, I, I've got news for you. So there seems to be broad, you know, broad-based political support for the stay-at-home orders. Um, I'm extraordinarily worried as an attorney who deals with the Constitution on literally a daily basis about a lot of what I'm seeing out there. I don't view that as alarmist, I don't view that as anything, uh, I understand what's going on, I understand why it's going on this way, but by the same token, um, you know, when you're seeing National Guardsmen being deployed at different state lines, not in Wisconsin, but elsewhere in order to target uh, out-of-state license plates, you know, and I and I raised this in a discussion that I was having the other day of, well, okay, if I if I own a second home, uh you know in in florida and if i'm trying to get to florida or maybe i have an elderly disabled uh, mother or grandmother or whatever the case may be or family member and you know what they are not okay and i'm trying to get to them um there are there are real world issues that are unfolding and taking place with limited and i'm just going to say limited due process uh, that are involving and arguably stripping people of their constitutional property rights um, and th- their right to associates and all these other things. So as a constitutional law attorney, which fundamentally, I think if you are a good criminal defense attorney, you ought to be considering yourself a constitutional law attorney. Um, there's a lot of worrisome things that are going on right now, but I don't see, I don't see the courts changing it anytime right now.
0: And I don't know um, exactly how heavy-handed some of this enforcement is going to be. Here in our county, right. um, there, there was just a news story about a, an establishment that, that serves liquor. So uh, you, you can understand where that's coming from. Um, being cited and now the, the owner of that establishment is facing, I believe it's 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. Um, but uh, uh, the, the authorities, officers got an anonymous call that the bar was open in defiance of the stay-at-home rule. And there was probably 15 or 20 cars parked in the parking lot. And uh, officers stopped by at 6 p.m. Asked him to close down. He said he'd have everybody out in an hour. Officers stopped by at 8 p.m. Everyone was still there. They asked him again to close down. And then at 11.30, um, maybe half the patrons had left and, uh, they finally just said, you know, enough is enough. We're issuing the citation. We're, you know, ordering everyone out of the building, um, so forth and so on. Um, so they were, they were certainly giving people the opportunity to comply and, and they just didn't, they chose not to take that opportunity. So they, they issued citations. Nobody went to jail, obviously, you know, the social distancing rules and, and regulations, but, um, this, this business owner will now have to appear in court and, and, and defend his actions on why he refused to close up on that day, so.
1: And I think that that's, that's a critical part of kind of the public perception and optics to this, right, is you could have a law that, and I'm not saying that it is distasteful, I'm just saying let's just imagine that, you know, this, these stay-at-home orders and so forth are distasteful to, to some or, or, or many or not many or whatever people, but I think that if law enforcement uh, is not heavy-handed in their application, I think that we'll continue to see... Broadly, uh, you know, speaking uh, public support for this. I think if law enforcement or certain politicians get very heavy handed in what they're doing, I think that that support could erode rapidly. And as a result, that could that could change the legal footing of the entire scenario here. So And again, this is all wrapped into the constitutional discussion of this whole thing, because at the end of the day, you have to have standing, you have to have all these different issues. I mean, you could sue for some sort of declaratory judgment in court and so forth. But um, again, my suspicion is that as long as the enforcement remains um, light-handed, certainly the emphasis I keep seeing from law enforcement is, uh, look, we're going to educate people, we're going to be giving them an opportunity to go home, which of course is code, go home or else, right? But yeah, um, yeah. but reasonably speaking, it's still it's not nearly as heavy handed as it could be. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the public support is really going to go a long way to to determine what what the how the judicial system reacts, honestly. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's move on over to North Carolina. Albert wants to know, what's the difference between looting and burglary? And can I use force to stop people from taking my stuff? So I'm going to hand this one right over to you, Tom. (laughs)
1: Okay, so um, different states have perhaps different definitions of one or the other. I don't recall there being a specific looting statute in Wisconsin. But look, I mean, when I hear looting, I hear, you know, it could be one individual, but we typically imagine Mm -hmm. a a crowd. Um, We typically imagine a commercial business retail setting, something like that. Um, You can have a burglary to a commercial retail business setting, but ordinarily and I won't delve into the finer points of Wisconsin law; that's irrelevant here. But ordinarily, when we think of burglary, we think of a home invasion or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the day, um, look: if you are in your home or business, then depending upon your local laws (uscca.com/forward/slash/laws), castle doctrine may apply if somebody's breaking in. Um, so, that's the first thing to know: is is where where does the line for deadly force start and end? So. That's a check your local listings answer. If you're not in your business, and let's say you're just driving by your business and you see somebody break into your business and nobody's nobody's in there, your wife isn't in there, employees aren't in there and so forth, then that, I highly doubt that that will be a Castle Doctrine scenario um, because Castle Doctrine is fundamentally about protecting people, not things. That does not mean that you cannot ever use force to protect things. Again, check your local listings here in Wisconsin. Somebody can basically use the reasonable force necessary to terminate an unlawful interference. But the reasonable force ends long before deadly force ever comes into play. Uh, And I'm sorry if you disagree with that. That's not the point of this is to editorialize or to get folks on board. The point of this is simply to convey information. That's the status of the laws. If you don't like it, write your legislator but otherwise that's what it is
0: mm-hmm. yeah and and we tell people all the time it is it is self-defense So um, mean you shouldn't be using deadly force to protect your stuff you should be using it to protect your life or the lives of your loved ones or or if you so determine um the life of an innocent person you may not even know but understand um we go back to that terminology again imminent deadly threat so um you can use a level of force to uh, uh, as Tom said, stop an, an illegal interference, uh, but that force has to be objectively reasonable and, um, quite frankly, we, we put that up against you know the reasonable person standard. So the prosecutor is going to get to weigh in on that, and then a judge or jury is going to get to weigh in on that if the case moves along that far. So I, I would say, you know what, you can always buy more stuff. Um, anything that you can replace with your credit card or checkbook, I'm saying you probably don't want to use deadly force to defend that. Um, and uh, but if you're stopping an imminent deadly threat or um, a threat of great bodily harm, then yes, the level of force uh, becomes a little bit higher, so.
1: Moving and on, if, if
0: cl- if, if,
1: I was just gonna say, you know, if you're involved in legal system and, you know, if you see the toll that it takes from people, even when they successfully defend themselves in a case, um, mm-hmm. I'm yet to have ever a client. And again, we're at the largest criminal defense firm in the state. I have never seen or heard of a client who won in court because they did something like that and said, totally worth it, wouldn't change a yeah. thing if I go back in time. They never say that. They always look mm-hmm. at me, you know, six weeks in or 10 weeks into the case and say, I should just let him take the TV or, or whatever it was. You know, this yeah. this isn't worth it. Even, even after you win and the family's hugging you outside and so forth and, you know, the father or the stepfather or whatever is shaking your hand, everybody says, I still would never have done it. Cause I always ask them, yeah. well, what you, now that you know how this has played out, would you go back and change this? And they're like, yeah, so I, this was not worth it. You know, they protected the thousand dollar TV and they incurred $20,000 in legal fees. They lost their job. The media has written up about them. Now, whenever you Google your name, this is what it is. And you know, they never make you look good. It's right. not worth it folks.
0: And and one thing you pointed out in there too, is you said six to 10 weeks into this case, um, this is not law and order and everything gets resolved in 55 minutes on TV. Six to 10 weeks of all of that stress and those payments and all of that other stuff. Um, you're oh, absolutely fast. right. Um, yeah. that, that's fast. Yeah. That's like it minutes. got
1: dismissed by motion early. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, We've had first offense drunk drivings, which were the last state, for those of you who may not know, where just a vanilla first offense drunk driving is a ticket, not a crime. We have had yep. first offense drunk drivings last more than three years in court, okay? Yeah. How long do you think your felony case is going to last, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot longer, potentially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Joan in Cleveland, she wants to know if I'm out shopping and things get, and this is a direct quote from Joan, really crazy at the store. When can I pull out my gun? Well, Joan, don't pull out your gun because you want that last sweater at Walmart, that's for sure. (laughs) So um, it's, uh, you know, there's some interesting um, tactical aspects to um, crowd dynamics and what you're doing in a large public gathering and stuff like that. Um, My first response to this is, if things get even moderately crazy, get out of there. But if they escalate to the point where you're feeling in danger, I'll let you take it from there Tom. At what point can't she pull out her gun and and you know actually is she going to be brandishing or is she going to fire that gun?
1: So number 1, check your local listings, brandishing laws, all that kind of stuff, right? What constitutes deadly force? Is deadly force simply clearing leather? So to, so in other words, producing mm-hmm. your firearm from its concealed or or open location. So if you're carrying off body in a purse or backpack, it's now out of the purse or backpack. If you're carrying on body, point being is, is merely producing your firearm, despite the fact you haven't shot it, you haven't pointed anybody, is that deadly force or is that a crime period? Because it might be in certain places, that's for sure. And even if it isn't directly by, by black letter law, we would call it, um, it might be through soft law. In other words, through ambiguous phrases and catch-alls and so forth. So those are things to be aware of. Um, so producing it is kind of step one, step two, uh, generally speaking, would be now pointing in at someone and then step three is obviously pulling the trigger. Uh, you notice I didn't have a step 2.5, which is warning shots. Don't yeah. do warning shots. Warning shots are Better. bad. Uh, <laughs> you you will be criminally charged in my experience locally. Um, I, we have had warning shot cases, they do get criminally charged. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm not defending that that's the way it works. I'm just saying that is the way it works, at least here in Wisconsin. So again, check your local listings. but even just pointing a firearm at somebody you have to have you're going to be able to show because that's a crime here and I'm, i suspect that's mm-hmm. a crime in a lot of places and that could range from a misdemeanor to a felony with potentially decades in prison so you're going to need to be able to show in court if push comes to shove why you may have been privileged to use that firearm and that's not a position you want to find yourself in so you know kevin nailed it right on the head if you can get out leave your cart and go go no. I and mean, that, that's that's the easy answer Um, and that's what I've told my family is look, if you're at a grocery store, leave the cart and go, um, there's always a back exit through, through stores. If it's that crazy, there's always a back exit through stores where, uh, you know, employees have access where, you know, the, uh, uh, the freight trucks come in, all that kind of stuff. Um, otherwise right out the front, but, um, otherwise look, self-defense laws, right? Mm -hmm. Don't point a firearm at someone unless, unless you absolutely need to as a last resort.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know I'm going to to uh, um, go a little little bit further in the the requirements for for actually taking a shot in self defense um, that uh, target um, acquisition, target identification, and target isolation. If you're in a store and things are getting really crazy, um, you might not know exactly who's doing what and who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And then certainly target isolation becomes very very difficult in the the chaos of a store. So. I am going to once again, you know, say the best fight is the fight you're not in. And Tom is absolutely right. You don't have to go out the door you came in. Um, it, you know, you see that sign that says, you know, alarm will sound emergency exit. Well, guess what? This is an emergency and uh, maybe we're gonna sound the alarm and go out that door. Um, just, just get out of there. Don't, uh, don't get tied up in something that really does not um, matter to you or, you know, I mean, it's a cart full of groceries or a cart full of toilet paper, let it go.
1: That you haven't even bought well the toilet paper might yeah. be good but
0: you yeah but yeah there's there's alternatives so <laughs> there's alternatives to toilet paper <laughs> I, I was just about to make my off-color joke but i know that we're going out live to uh, uh, thousands of family members so uh, i i won't i won't we'll go put it there. this
1: way guys yeah. if you've been getting ties as as birthday and christmas <laughs> presents now's your chance to cash in on those those socks yeah. you've been getting anything you don't want this is your yep. moment. This is like purge right now to, yeah. to settle yeah. some scores against all those bad Christmas and birthday presents you've been getting.
0: Outstanding. You, you won't find, find
1: out. that on slash laws.
0: Nope, not at all. And, and, and we're not talking about regifting, folks. Okay, this is something completely <laughs> yeah, don't different. Re-gift that. Don't re-gift that. <laughs> so, all right, <laughs> getting getting back on track. Uh, um, Uh, This actually is a pretty good one here. And and, uh, I have some insight into this. I'll let you talk to Patrick over in Kansas City. What would you suggest is a good alternative to a gun? What are the legal issues with pepper spraying someone? When can I use my pepper spray? Um, You know, uh, from my defense and arrest tactics classes and and retraining, um, I can use pepper spray against active resistance or its threat. So that opens up a lot of uses for pepper spray, but um, there, you know, um, Tom, from your point of view, when can somebody use pepper spray as, as an ability to defend themselves and get out of harm's way? Well,
1: okay, so pepper spray, of course, broadly is not recognized as a deadly weapon or anything like that. There are different laws as far as concentrations, accepted brands, and so forth, depending upon where you go. So just understand that that, that's, that can be a factor. Um, but broadly speaking, I mean, look, that's definitely going to be considered force. That's definitely going to be considered an assault or something like that, wherever you are and whatever that terminology may change to depending on wherever you are. So if you're in a spot where you can kind of throw that, that defensive punch, I would say, um, which to be clear is quite the spot to be in. But if you're in that spot where you can Mm -hmm. legally use intentional force to knock someone down, um, then that would seem to be where you're at to me for pepper spray. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my and, thought your thought um well
0: you know i'm i'm looking at it as uh um when you can use it and when maybe you should and where you're allowed to use it you know like like it says in our manual in our uh, defense and arrest tactics manual um you can use um oc spray against active resistance or its threat so um, I've never had to pepper spray someone just for saying they were going to fight with me, um, but I've had the pepper spray out just to make sure that if the fight started, then yeah, the pepper spray was going to be employed. But I, I, I've never pepper sprayed someone just for saying that they were going to fight, you know, making that threat of active resistance. Um, but I, I'll put this to you as, as a prosecutor or a defense attorney. Um, if someone says, you know, uh, give me your shopping cart full of toilet paper while you're out in the parking lot of a store. And uh, your response is, how about you have this pepper spray instead? Um, <laughs> is that going to be a, a, a good use of your pepper spray? And are you going to get in right. trouble for that?
1: And, and you put the wham on them with pepper yeah,
0: spray. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And remember remember this too, you're going to get some residual pepper spray maybe on that you toilet will. paper. So you want to be careful of that.
1: Uh, I, I think Kevin and I would both raise our hands to, yes, we've been pepper sprayed before. It is not fun. Um, I, would, I would point out, yes, you are going to get some pepper spray. It, it's not going to be fun. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It's awful. It's, it's not good. Um, and you are going to get some splashback and so forth. Um, and keep in mind as well that if you are pepper spraying someone, that you need to stop as soon as they stop. So if you are in a legal position yeah. to use it. You can't just do a, the equivalent of a pepper spray mag dump on them while they're on the ground, just hosing them, you know, in their face. Yeah. Don't. That's how you go to jail or prison or something like that. Even if you right. were clearly privileged to use it in the first place. But to your to your question, so somebody just walks up. I've got my my shopping cart loaded with Charmin triple ply, the good stuff, the pure stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, somebody walks up and they don't have a weapon. They don't have anything. They just say, "Give me, give me your Charmin or give me your cart." Basically.
0: Yep. Yeah. Or, or I'm going to take it from you. I mean, you, you get the idea that they're going to cause you harm if you don't give them your your material.
1: Sure. Well, so playing this out, uh, and again, I'm playing this out based on experience, and, and I'm sure that your experience is pretty similar to my experience. Let's say you pepper spray them. All right. Someone sees that, they call the cops. What's What's that guy on the ground who's been pepper sprayed? What are they going to tell the cops nine times out of ten?
0: Yeah, they're I was just walking by and this guy pepper sprayed me for no reason. <laughs> exactly. <So. laughs> right, right, exactly.
1: So that that's what they're going to say nine times out of 10, maybe, maybe 99 times out of 100, which means that as the defense attorney, now I'm talking to this client who bailed himself out of jail or I'm talking to the family because they're still in jail. And they're telling me, well, look, he made some sort of threat. No, there was no weapon. There was no knife that was shown or anything like that. But, you know, it's pretty clear that something bad was going to happen if I didn't turn over my my shopping cart of my purchased goods. Um, and, you know, what was I supposed to do? I was, was I acting reasonably to defend my property? Getting back to our discussion from about 15, 20 minutes ago, because you can use reasonable force to terminate, uh, you know, unlawful interference. But this brings up a great teachable point here, which is the fact that, just because something happened a certain way, don't expect the bad guy to corroborate that once the police arrive. They're going to say that that you were trying to rob them, or that that they, you just did it for no reason, uh, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. So expect these kind of variables to be in place, and expect that that's what's going to happen, uh, just the same as though it were a self-defense shoot uh, or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's you're going to have a very muddy fact pattern. Okay. We rarely have clean fact patterns in, in court. We invariably have different people saying different things. And if we're lucky, we only have two sides and there's only two different things. If we're unlucky, there's going to be witnesses that contradict each other. And, you know, there's going to be something like eight different versions of what happened to, to one degree or another. Um, so I know that, that there's a decent chance that that guy is going to lie and that there's a decent chance that I'll be arrested. Trying to protect my charmin and so forth, and that as a result that there there's at least a chance, depending upon how decent or or, or non decent it is, is going to be dependent upon how I do, how he does, and how law enforcement does, let alone the prosecutor. But bottom line is that if I pull out that pepper spray, if I take this first swing, you know, the security cameras they're not going to see this guy saying much of anything, you know, and that he's going to say, yeah. "I asked him about mm-hmm. the weather. I asked him did they have any more toilet paper inside." All they're going to see is you know me pulling out the pepper spray and hosing him down. So. I would not be surprised if I got arrested under those situation under those circumstances. I would not be surprised if I was criminally charged under those circumstances, and I would, you know, how many thousands of dollars worth of criminal defense attorney. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm sure all of our answers are going to be, yeah, I'm going to rock that guy in the face, and I'm going to then sprint to my car and get the heck out of dodge. I'm going to call nine one one while I'm driving. That's our. That's 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 my first inclination. That's everybody's inclination, and and I'm not mm-hmm. saying. That you know that isn't the way that maybe things ought to be. What I'm trying to do, folks, is I'm trying to show you the way things are because you need to know the way, how things actually are in real life if you wanna make real decisions about how to protect yourself. So I'm not trying to open up a debate about, boy, I can't believe Tom said that this is the way it works um, or anything like, it. I, I get it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that this is perfect and this is the way it ought to work. I'm just simply saying, these would be the factors going through my head when I'm deciding what to do, uh, mm-hmm. personally, I'd probably put the shopping cart between me and him, try to keep walking. Uh, if I've got my pepper spray, maybe draw it, but don't don't point it or anything like that, and be ready. Uh, mm-hmm. Giving clear, you know, challenge commands, something like that, to try to get you know people's attention to what's going on, so they can see that hey, if this guy sprints around or he shoves the cart, this is on him. But knowing how security okay. cameras work, I want it very clear that this guy threw the first punch, one way or the other.
0: And, and you're absolutely right Tom that's what I was hoping you would get to is this is a perfect time for that verbal challenge this is that that you know he, he's not armed but he could cause you harm and right. if you start yelling you know no get away from me this is my stuff stop trying to take it making a scene um, you're turning right. those bystanders into witnesses and it's not just yeah the, the you know the round-headed guy in the black shirt just started spraying pepper spray all over the place I don't know what was going on um, then you'll you'll at least um, be establishing the the fact that y- you have some witnesses who will hopefully testify that they heard you you know telling this person to get away and it was clear that this person was was causing the problem so um, and if there I wanna weren't think,
1: hopefully the security camera
0: yeah and then at least you got the security camera footage that that kind of backs up the the actions that uh, that you're saying and and I'm going to use these terms again you have to be able to articulate clearly. Not only what happened, but why you did what happened. You know, um, I'm, I, I remembered mens rea. You know, what was your, your uh, state of mind at the time of this? So um, look at this. I, I'm going to be ready for the bar exam after a couple more years You're of this. So, so. <laughs> You're going to come out of quarantine <laughs> so. and just let's
1: just sign up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm looking at the clock here and we're getting really close to the end of our hour, Tom. And, and uh, you know, as I always say, like my therapist says, our time is up, but I wanna give you the opportunity to, again, let people know exactly where they can uh, go out there and, and give you some help for all of the time that you're providing us here at USCCA. Sure
1: so i don't think there's any links today if there are if you do see a link somewhere that says rate tom grieve please click on that and drop a link if or you know drop a drop a five-star review if possible otherwise if you just google grieve law g-r-i-e-v-e law you're gonna see different locations Folks, it'd be great if you could jump on as many locations as possible. And what we're looking for is you Google us, you see you know, our, our picture and all that kind of stuff with some stars in the upper right-hand corner of your Google screen. Click on Write a Review. It's going to ask you to grade us from one to five stars. Keep in mind this is the internet. So four stars is a failing grade. So if you felt like you got something out of this, as always, I would ask for a five star review. I do personally read and review every single one of these. This is not some sort of marketing intern. This is me personally. But this this kind of reviews and these kind of feedback, this is this is what allows me to participate in these, um, and I always love reviewing and and taking a look at all the feedback. So Kevin, it's it's been great being on. Um, I I love you know the the ensemble you have going on back there.
0: I'm living pretty good out here in the Northwoods, so. It's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I just want to thank everybody for being here and watching this. And, uh, and I know that uh, things are a little bit different. It might be difficult to get questions to us, but um, reach out on any of the social media platforms, uh, search for USCCA on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We're out there on all of them. You can send questions in, you can live chat with real people. Um, I was gonna say at the USCC offices, but they're not there now. They're working in their pajamas from home. So um, we've got like 300 people scattered throughout Southeastern Wisconsin, all working from home. Uh, but we're all out there um, trying to provide that top-notch customer service and and being out here to help responsibly armed gun owners. It's what we do and we're just gonna keep doing it.
1: And if I could just add one thing, you know, uh, folks, this, this production was very unusual today and all of our productions are very challenging. But today's particularly so. So I personally would like to thank, you know, Joe, Tyler, Tommy, Brad, Jessica, Nicole, everybody who, and I'm sure I forgot people, I apologize. But all the people behind the scenes, behind the camera uh, that, that helped us pull this off and really pulled it off. And we kind of are just the little pawns on screen that kind of do things. But um, there's, there's a big team to, in order to get these up and off the ground. So I just wanted to thank all those guys as well for making this happen.
0: Way to go, Tom! I already got an instant message saying, "How come Tom had to thank us? Why didn't you thank us, Kevin?" So yeah, it's. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Tom right. wins again. So thanks Checkmate. for watching, folks, and yeah, <laughs> and uh, we will be back again with the Ask Attorney webinar. Uh, uh, keep an eye on your email because we tell you when it's going to happen. And and again, reach out on social media. We're here to answer your questions. Thanks a lot for being here.
1: Thanks, guys.